What is the unintentional insider threat, and what are the latest topics of insider threat intelligence? Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking about the insider threat today with Randy Trezak. He's the technical manager at the Insider Threat Center with CERT at the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. Randy, it's a pleasure to talk with you again. Great. Thanks to talk to you as well. Randy, I've got to ask you up front. Everybody's been talking about the insider threat since the development of the Edward Snowden situation. From your perspective, what attention has this brought to the topic you've been researching for so long? Well, certainly any time that there is a high-profile case involving matters of security, national security, you would tend to expect increased awareness in terms of identifying what the threat is and what the impact to the organization is as it relates to what particularly this insider or another insider did or did not do as it relates to a case. As we've done research over the years, we found that many of the incidents are handled internally by organizations and, and really don't involve in law enforcement. But on the occasion when there has been significant impact to organizations that do involve law enforcement, many times those are picked up and reported through the media. So in terms of increased awareness, it's certainly something that, that does uh, provide some value from organizations to see other organizations that are impacted, but also from an organization standpoint, they should really be concerned about protecting their assets, critical information, critical technologies, their facilities, and their people, and really they need to protect it from a number of threats, which would include insider threats, but also external threats as well. Ray, I know you've done a number of research projects recently. I want to ask you about some of them, and the first one is the one I referenced at the top of this discussion, the unintentional insider threat. Based on your latest research, what do you find to be the characteristics of the unintentional insider? Now that's, that's a great question. And for years, we've been doing research here in the Insider Threat Center, really focused on the malicious insider. And we think we've done a pretty decent job of describing the motives, the impacts of insiders who intend to harm organizations. But from an organization standpoint, they really do need to be concerned about impacts to their critical assets whether there is malicious intent or there is non-malicious intent. So recent studies we've done is focus on the unintentional insider threat, and really we, we use a, a, a similar definition when defining the insider threat from an unintentional perspective. Really we are concerned about looking at individuals in an organization, which still does include the current or former employees. We tend to in, then include the contractors or trusted business partners as well in that definition. And what we really differentiate between the malicious and the unintentional insider threat is the unintentional, that basically they do have authorized access to the networks and systems or the data, and through some type of action or inaction and without malicious intent, they do cause harm to the organization's critical assets. So some of the things that we found interesting in terms of collecting of these incidents, uh, again, we try to use the empirical data approach of trying to find as many incidents as possible code them in our database that we have here and then try to do analysis to look for the patterns. After we collected a number of cases of the non-malicious unintentional insider threat cases, we tended to break those down into two different categories, two primary categories. The first one we would categorize as the insider almost negligence, uh, where we would see impacts of the organization along the lines of accidental disclosure. So, so for example, if, if I take some type of device off of the corporate network and I tend to or happen to lose that particular device. That would be some type of accidental disclosure. There really wasn't malicious intent, 
but it's something that the individual did or didn't do that allowed the disclosure of information. The second categorization really is focused around some type of malicious code, and almost a hacking type where an insider is involved, but not with malicious intent. So for example, uh, someone outside the organization, social engineer someone, uh, you know, sends them a phishing email, and they actually open up the email. Or another example might be that someone provides someone a USB device within the organization, and then some type of malicious code is, is, is uh, introduced onto the network or onto the system. And then we certainly have some cases that we've analyzed related to the physical security, such as loss of physical records, something was lost or stolen, paper documents as well. So we tend to break those down into three groups, three different types of categories, and it really tries to fit around the cases we've seen. And then once we describe those particular impacts to the organization, then we try to offer some types of mitigation strategies to help organizations going forward. Well, based on those characteristics and those those three categories you described, Randy, what would you say you emerged with as key findings about the unintentional insider? Certainly from, a, from an organization standpoint, there are things that organizations can do to hopefully reduce the risk that someone could unintentionally harm organizations' assets. Certainly it could be including technologies or controls that they can introduce. Uh, but also we found that there's uh, uh, some information uh, technology best practices in addition to or the organization best practices that should be introduced as well to include things such as security awareness training or really just improving the way that communication is, is being conducted across the organization to raise awareness of the insider threat, uh, but also to, uh, to include the non-malicious insiders as well in that threat model. So, for example, if we were to use the first example of the accidental disclosure, uh, certainly no one intends or most people don't intend to disclose information, but if the example we talked about before where someone takes a laptop off of the organization network and it does contain confidential or sensitive information, protection strategies could put, be put on that device that would not allow the person who picks up the laptop if it's lost or if it's stolen, someone takes the laptop, not allow the information to be accessed. There could be things that could be technical controls that could be full disk encryption or other types of strategies where the information could only be made available once it's connected to the network. And if we think about the other types of uh, the social engineering, more of the malicious code, the phishing email type attempts that come about, uh, again, there could be technical controls that could prevent the impact of someone clicking on a phishing email coming in from getting onto the network, but also it could be in the form of security awareness training training their employees, your contractors and subcontractors to, you know, what could be suspicious email and what you should do if you encounter or are presented with a suspicious email. Well, glad you talked about controls, Randy. If you were to talk about the technical controls organizations could put in place to avoid the pitfalls of social engineering, for instance, would help to, to track these mobile devices that get lost and stolen, what would you say are fundamental technical controls or even process controls that organizations need to have in place? Well, again, again, another great question, and it really focuses on the organization, and it needs to start with the organization identifying what its critical assets are. So, for example, if an organization is concerned about a data disclosure event that would compromise a key piece of information in the organization, Certainly the protection strategy or the control should be focused on the, you know, the, the prevention of data leaving the network, going off of the network and causing harm to the confidentiality of that particular 
key critical asset. So if you're trying to protect in an organization information from leaving, there's a number of protection strategies that may be effective within the organization. There are a number of categories of tools, such as data loss prevention type tools, which would stop information from, from leaving. Other types of strategies that may be effective would be things such as digital rights management. Again, that particular category of tools would only allow information to be accessed while on the corporate network. So there's a number of controls that would be effective to hopefully prevent a data disclosure event. Another type of, of incident that may be impacting would be the example we talked about before, the malicious code being introduced onto the networks and systems. A number of, of controls can be put in place that could prevent the malicious code from being downloaded from a website or introduced onto the network uh, through a USB device. A number of controls that would not allow an unauthorized device to be put onto the network and system. So again, it's really focused on an organization's risk profile of what they're trying to protect. If you're trying to protect a data disclosure event, you would use one category of tools. Another type of incident which may be categorized or grouped as an IT sabotage type event, that could be another category of tools. And a third set of tools that may be effective when you're trying to prevent or detect fraudulent activity on your networks and systems. Randy, I want to go into another direction now and talk about another research project that you worked on. I know that you recently compiled some best practices across multiple nations. What was the genesis of this particular research project? One of the things that we've been asked over the years is to provide some guidance to organizations that have departments and organization units outside the U.S. One of the valuable assets and one of the valuable resources we provide is describing how insider incidents traditionally occur within organizations. But up until this point, we really only focused on incidents that occurred in the U.S. What we've been asked is, could we provide some guidance and recommendations for organizations that have international-type operations? One of the strategies and one of the recommendations we made is for organizations to consider the common sense guides to mitigation of insider threats, which are the best practices that we've released for organizations. In that particular document, which is available on our website, we outline 19 best practices that we recommend organizations consider when trying to protect or to mitigate insider threats within their organization. What we've done is to go through those 19 best practices and ask organizations to consider that there may be international considerations when trying to deploy controls or to do things such as security awareness training or to do things related to uh, trying to protect critical assets that those assets don't necessarily reside within the U.S. So this particular effort, the best practices against insider threats in all nations, was really asking organizations to consider implementing the 19 best practices and then look at the international considerations that may be something they want to consider prior to implementing those best practices on organization units outside of the U.S. Randy, how do you find that the insider threats and controls vary, if at all, across the varying geographies? One of the things that we've tried to do is to describe to organizations certainly the technical observables as well as the non-technical observables that organizations should consider looking for when trying to identify people that may be higher risk at harming their critical assets. When we describe the insider threats within the U.S., as you've seen in the past publications, we tend to describe those as different impacts of the organization. When we say that an impact of the organization could be an IT sabotage type event, we tend to describe that as a disgruntled system administrator who is trying to get revenge against the organization for a perceived injustice. That looks different from someone who steals intellectual property in that we've seen that 
the people who tend to steal intellectual property tend to take it within 30 days of announcing they're going to leave the organization. They tend to take the key intellectual property that gives them a business advantage in a different organization. They tend to take the information to go to a competitor to start a competing organization, and in some cases benefit a foreign organization or a foreign government. Again, that looks different from the saboteurs, looks different from people who defraud the organization, whereas those people are motivated by financial gain. They tend to do it over a longer period of time, and it impacts the financial uh, bottom line of the organization. So when we describe those incidents in terms of the impact of the organization and the observables, both technical and non-technical, those tend to be pretty consistent across all the organizations, whether they be in the U.S. or outside the U.S. Now, where we're seeing the organizations are challenged by is the actual implementation of controls when we look outside the U.S. When you start looking at what we can do from a U.S. perspective of implementing monitoring strategies or protecting strategies, there are certainly U.S. laws and regulations that need to be considered. And what we ask organizations to do is, is to consider if you're deploying those same types of technologies, those same types of controls, those same types of monitoring strategies, to, con to certainly consult the, uh, the legal counsel within those organization units outside the U.S. prior to deploying those strategies. From an international perspective, there's certainly less in some organization units outside the U.S., less oversight and control, but in some there is, is a significant more in terms of uh, protecting the privacy and the civil liberties of the employees and the contractors and subcontractors within those organization units. So, Randy, one more question about this study. What were some of the key best practices that you identified that really transcend national borders? Certainly, from the, the best practice that we recommend is to consider what you're trying to protect. When you start looking at knowing your assets, best practice six in the Common Sense Guide to Mitigation of Insider Threats, it all starts with the organization knowing what they're trying to protect. Uh, when we describe the protection strategies, it needs to focus on four key critical asset types protecting your people, protecting your facilities, protecting your information, and protecting your and your technologies. Knowing that and prioritizing that, it's up to the organizations to know exactly what they're trying to protect, who has authorized access to what they're trying to protect, and who should have authorized access to what they're trying to protect. So irregardless of where the organization unit is, it's critical that they know what their assets are, which then will help them to be able to go ahead and try to protect the strategies. And then when we go into a different best practice number 10, which is institute stringent access controls and monitoring policies on privileged users, again, that is, a, that is something that we do need to protect as well. The privileged users is certainly a vulnerability that could be exploited if there's not appropriate controls. So do you have the appropriate controls to really protect your information assets from people with privileged access, someone in your IT department? Certainly many organizations challenge their organization units to implement separation of duties in business processes. We certainly ask organizations to consider implementing those same types of separation of duties or dual controls within their IT departments as well. And then finally, what we'd recommend is certainly to develop a formalized insider threat program. That really does need to be inherent in all organization units enterprise-wide. How do we identify individuals who may be more at risk? If we identify some suspicious activity, what's the formal process that we need to follow uh, in terms of incident identification as well as remediation and in some cases recovery? And what is the formal program to share information across the organization 
that would not necessarily be shared without a formal program or agreements in place to, again, protect the civil liberties and the privacy of your employees. Randy, if I could follow up on that, please. Do I understand correctly from a previous conversation with you that you are seeing more entities now pressuring organizations to, to stand up a formal insider threat program? Yeah, we certainly are seeing uh, organizations being asked to consider implementing formal programs, certainly within the U.S., uh, the government organizations that uh, that needed to respond to the executive order 3587, 3587, which was the White House's directive to ask organizations to stand up formal insider threat programs, which was released in November of 2011. Certainly those organizations are required to stand up programs. And that really is at the, the, the crux of it, trying to protect classified information. Uh, classified information. So the U.S. government has, has asked, the departments and agencies to stand up formal programs. As we start looking at the organizations that support the federal government, including contractors, there is some some guidance that should be coming out or will be coming out in the foreseeable future that should ask those organizations to form to stand up formal inside threat programs as well. So that is certainly a key area that we're looking for in terms of next generation of research. How can we assist organizations both within the government and outside the government to be able to allow them to stand up an inside a threat program and really to allow them to provide some way to assess their programs to see that those inside a threat programs are effective or ways they can improve their programs that are in place now. Well, final question for you, Randy, and you hinted at the answer a few minutes ago when you talked about the, the research into organizations standing up an insider threat program. What are your next topics of research? Well, certainly that is something that we're looking into today. How can we provide guidance to organizations to stand up programs? How can we provide ways for organizations to assess how effective their programs are? And then certainly we've continued to do research in terms of providing organizations the abilities to do insider threat vulnerability assessments. That's something we'll continue to be able to build and offer as services that we can help organizations with. Our foundation here is empirical data, collecting incidents, analyzing incidents, and looking for common patterns that we can describe to organizations that they should consider when trying to prevent or detect malicious or even unintentional incidents from happening within their organization. So I believe that will be our next areas of research related to the six-month to 12-month time frame from our Insider Threat Program here at CERT. Randy, as always, it's a pleasure to talk with you. I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you as well. I've been discussing the insider threat. I've been talking with Randy Trezak. He's technical manager in the Insider Threat Center at CERT at the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.